0: Thank mm-hmm. you. In 2010, Wikileaks famously released a classified U.S. military video depicting the killing of over a dozen people in the Iraqi suburb of New Baghdad, including two Reuters news staff. Now, the video forms part of the broader prosecution case against Julian Assange, who, as we speak, is appealing his extradition to the U.S., now, a couple of years after that, in 2012, I invited into the studio author Robin de Krepny, who had uh, written an extraordinary book about the Iraqi man who was uh, tried in Darwin for helping over 500 people escape uh, the Saddam Hussein regime and get to safety in Australia. The People Smuggler was the story of Ali al-Janabi, who uh, comes from Baghdad and suffered indescribable horrors in prisons for resisting the regime. Now, Ali himself is sitting in the studio and he's starring in a new film about a refugee taxi driver and his unlikely passenger. It's called Damage and with him is the extraordinarily gifted writer, director and producer, Madeline Blackwell, I welcome you both, and before we get stuck into the saga, congratulations! You are both winners of the highest honour the Little wireless Program can bestow—the Koala Stamp with Gum Leaf Cluster. Now, Madeline, I want to start with you. We played the, you know, the, some of the soundtrack from uh, your movie Damage, which features the famous scenes from WikiLeaks video. Uh, why does this? feature in your film?
1: Well, we went to war in Iraq based on a lie and um, Julian Assange hit the footage of collateral murder, as it's called, shows the truth about that war. And we know what's happening to Julian at this very moment um, as he fights against the extradition to the United States. But Um, I wanted to use that footage because it's so horrific and it contextualises my story about two human beings make a very simple, humane connection and who overcome their differences and connect.
0: A taxi driver and a passenger whose lives become so deeply entwined.
1: That's right. And so the... um, the The taxi driver is from Iraq, that gets um, revealed during the story, but the the sense that these two people are inside one little interior world of the taxi, and they they are hostile towards each other at first. But they sense things about each other. They get to know each other a little bit, not through conversation so much as by common spirit. And in the outside world, outside the taxi, there are these associated narratives, like we see a rocket. There imagery of militarization, imagery of surveillance, the cameras that are always following them. To um, so that's why I'm that's where the Assange footage also comes in.
0: Surveillance at the beginning of the film, Ali stares into the the taxi's surveillance camera before covering it up. In fact, he's. Uh, looking straight at us, the viewer, and similarly, at the end of the film, both Ali and Esther stare into the the taxi camera directly at us.
1: That's right. It's something that I really wanted to break that narrative world and actually have those two actors or non-actors, those two personas, stare straight at us and ask, you know, Finish the story for us. What are you going to do about this tragedy? What are you going to do about this injustice?
0: Ali, I want to find out how you got involved in uh, making this extraordinary film. But uh, is it okay? Can we go back to Iraq under Saddam and what you escaped from? Because there are so many horror stories involving you and your
2: family. We escaped from, you know, a dictatorship, you know, for 30 years. It's ruled by just one family. You know, the morning they decide we go war for this one, fighting this one, we sell this one. So no one have to say anything. If you say anything, you end up in jail, torture, murder, whatever you could say it.
0: When you were 10, your dad was imprisoned in... uh Saddam's regime and tortured very badly. Yeah, And you became head of the family effectively at the age of 10.
2: I take responsibility for my family, my mom. Um, because our culture there, it's women, it's very hard to find work. So I have to go to the street, me and my brother, and then we have to sell cigarettes or battery or whatever to get some for the family.
0: The collective memory is haunted by images of Abu Ghraib prison. You spent uh, four years there.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, it's horrible, you know, it, it, by torture, by, you know, all the time it, you are suspicion, you are you are um, working for uh, a foreigner, you want to change the government, you are working with the resistance, without any evidence, without anything, without any trial, you know.
0: Tell me the terrible story of your younger brother who was uh, tortured and executed?
2: 91 When after Saddam, he lost the war and then his army collapsed. And I think George Bush, the, the first George Bush, he gives Saddam, they give Saddam 40 days, allow him to release his army, to go everywhere, to go to the south of the country, to crush the resistance. And then they come to the city and Everyone, is is teenager, it's 20 years old, whatever. They've been collected, everyone in the city, and, you know, put them in one jail. It's a hurry, you know, in that time.
0: Now, you joined the resistance against Saddam after getting out of jail, and uh, you got most of your family out into Iran via Kurdistan.
2: We spent, like, four years in Kurdistan, three years. We're hoping it's... Because there, we're hoping it's the resisting, gotta change the government, we gotta come back, but unfortunately it's...
0: Now, you applied to the UN for asylum in Australia,
2: but you're rejected. It's, um, it, it, it's, as you know, we just try to find a place to live for peaceful, you know, survival. That's all the main thing we try to do. And then we try, you know, you and everyone, I see many people when I was in Iran, they come from, you know, they said, we want to Germany, Canada, Australia. But the, um, some people, they come, they said, we come from Australia. We're asking, where is Australia? They saying it's very far away. We said, that's the place we want to go.
0: I know from the Dukrepny book that what follows for you is a an international odyssey through the shadow world of fake passports and... Uh, you know, crowded camps and illegal border crossings. You lived every day without knowing what the hell was going to happen.
2: But um, As a human, you try to survive. You have to try, you will use any mean, you know, just to survive. Yourself, your family, everyone, your loved one.
0: In Indonesia, you were betrayed by a people smuggler and became one yourself.
2: My objective goal that time when I come to Indonesia is just to come to Australia and then, you know, send some money, bring my mom, my brother, my sister. Because in Iran, they have, you know, like, not like here, the process. You go after four years, you have permanent, after seven years, you have resident, and you settle. So there, whatever you stay in, you have no future. And then when I lost my money, I have no other way. Just to become, you know, helping people, a smuggler.
0: And you helped over 500 fellow Iraqis to get here by, well, running the boats through some very dangerous waters.
2: Well, th- this is the only way we could get into Australia because, as you said, I apply for yeah, the UN and then, you know, they could, the UN, they just choose, you know, a professor, a doctor, you know, it's um, high educated people. They can't, you know, take everyone.
0: And of course, the AFP were on your trail, on your tail, and you were betrayed by a friend and caught. Mm.
2: It's. um. This is the way of life, but the the price already I pay for it, and then what make me not get upset about all this one? It's I already get my mom, my brother, my sister.
0: Well, you're tried in a Darwin court, and became known as the Oscar Schindler of Asia. Did you know who Oscar Schindler was?
2: Yeah, I saw I saw his movie already.
0: Okay. okay, now Madeline, how did you meet Harley?
1: I saw Ali on stage at the Sydney Theatre during the um, Sydney Writers' Festival and I'd written the script. Well, maybe I hadn't, you know, completely finished it but as soon as I saw Ali on stage I thought, that's my guy, that's the guy who's going to play this role.
0: He didn't know that, did he?
1: No, I had to persuade him. It took some time. <laughs> okay. If,
2: if I know that, I wouldn't go there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Madeline, is it true that the idea for the film came from... Um, Came to you in a dream?
1: Well, actually, the idea didn't come, but you know, the very specific text and the script did. I was working for f- several months with some wonderful uh, refugee advocates who were telling me a lot of stories, details, case studies. I did a lot of research about why all the true stories of these refugees that we were demonising and incarcerating and torturing, and I found the stories to be so overwhelming... That I didn't know. I thought I'd need a ten-hour miniseries to, to to really uh, to make this. And so one night, um, I woke up in the middle of the night, having had this very beautiful dream. It was crystallized. The whole the whole thing was distilled into just two people in a taxi, and the dialogue in some the dialogue even the dialogue came to me in the dream. And in some parts of the film it's still exactly as it came during that dream.
0: Tell me about your marvellous mum, Amelda.
1: My mother, I asked her to play the role. She said, yeah, sure, when do we start? You know, she was absolutely fine. She was a jazz singer in the 1950s. Um, she raised five kids, of course, so she couldn't really continue that all the way. And um, she,
0: she performed w- on radio, telly, stage yes. over a career spanning five decades.
1: That's right. That's right. And she was only too happy to play this role. She was a total natural I actually really didn't have to direct her. She got the (laughs) script. She got the character, no problem.
0: I have to mention that she was a regular listener to the Little Wireless program. She loved it. And we had uh, correspondence.
1: Yes. She wrote to you. I think she might have told you she was making a film. I don't know. But anyway, you wrote back to her and it was so... She was thrilled to get that letter. She never missed your show.
0: And Imelda passed away in 2020, but she lived to see... The film.
1: She did. She uh, she was in bed. She had cancer, and then she said to me the day before the screening, "Madeline, get my dress out of the cupboard. Get my shoes. I'm going to get out of bed. I'm not going to miss this for the world." So she made it to the cinema. We uh, she walked the red carpet, which was uh, fabulous, <laughs> and uh, she watched the film. Oh, and dear. just four weeks later, she passed away.
0: Let's have a listen to a bit of Ali and your mum. This is the scene where Ali has to, uh, or to try to go through a car wash, but he panics.
2: Look, you're going to drive the car through this car wash. I can't drive this car. I don't have a driver's licence. It's only this far. Please.
1: You're the taxi driver. This is a taxi.
2: I can't go under the water. It's my heart. I can't see. It's my eyes. It's my head. It's all mixed up. I don't remember how to drive a car. And I can't forget anything.
0: I have to ask about the music because the score is fabulous. The
1: music is fabulous. So um, I used um, a piece called uh, by Peter Knight, composed by Peter Knight, who's the director of the um, Australian Art Orchestra. He's an incredible musical innovator and composer. And uh, he allowed me to use that main, that whole major piece of music and um, and some other of his pieces. And then we had a composer called Mohammed Amin Mardan, who is an Iraqi um, musician, musicologist, and composer, arranger. And he's an extraordinary musician who lives here in Sydney. And he was able to, we worked quite collaboratively on developing some music for those scenes where he played the cello in between some of the dialogue. And, um, yeah, we, we, we would watch the film and he would actually compose as he was watching it and we'd discuss those ideas. <laughs>
0: Back to the, the scene in question where the car is on, the taxi is on the verge of going between those great big brushes in an automatic car wash. Uh, I take it that uh, the driver has a huge problem.
1: So Ali, yeah, Ali has um, post-traumatic stress syndrome and that's why he asks his passenger if she will drive the car through the, the car wash. And, of course, she... She doesn't. She refuses. And um, he suffers. I mean, this is where the crux of the damage is, the damage of war, the damage of torture, the damage on the human body, the damage on a nation, on a people, you know, just the sort of whole metaphor of, of, of war. That's what happens. He can't, he runs away from that situation. How
0: hard was the scene for you, Arlie?
2: This one, it's honestly that time we did it like four or five times. Yeah. We repeat that scenes until we get it because it, it, I tell her it, it bring too much trauma to me. It brings too much, you know, bad memory for myself. Mm. How much
0: was uh, scripted and how much was improvised, uh, Madeline?
1: So the whole idea, the objective of the film um, was scripted. I knew why I was making it, what I wanted to say. But inside of that, I had an unusual amount of freedom, being the writer, director and producer, (laughs) to allow Ali to improvise, which he did very readily. I mean, he even started singing in a scene once where there was no singing in it. (laughs) And we went with it. And that song ended up being a key for the musicians to use in composition. So, no, it was a really fantastic collaboration in that sense.
0: You took a considerable risk choosing non-actors, Madeline.
1: There were a couple of reasons I chose the non-actors. When I saw Ali on stage, his his sense, his presence, his charisma was just—I uh, just knew he could do it. And um, he's
0: also a pretty good-looking bloke, isn't he? Yeah,
1: he yeah. is. Yeah, <laughs> he's a very good-looking bloke. He's... <laughs> he knows it too.
0: <laughs> There's a beautiful scene when Ali takes a melder's character to get a dog.
1: It's only me and my dog. (laughs) I need to take him with me. I can't take the dog.
2: Dog not allows in taxi. Why are you not staying with your daughter? She has a big house, plenty room. She said she'd look
1: after him and that I could visit, but I know they don't like him. They'll put him down. Some people think it's all right to kill a dog. They say, it's only a dog.
2: We can put it down. Sam with people, you know. Sam with people.
0: Tell me about the this moment where the two characters really connect. Madeline?
1: Um, I think they connect when they begin to trust each other. When Esther sees, When Ali's run away, she sees the ID of the taxi driver and she takes the ID out and she looks very closely at it. She realises the man in the photograph is not the driver. I'm giving away all the whole film here, but, but she trusts him anyway. She gets back in the taxi at that point. So that is the moment of trust. When he says to her, this is my name, this is where I'm from, they introduce each other. Uh, halfway through the film, that's when they 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 form a, a sort of a team. But at the end of the film, he asks her to get back into the taxi because otherwise, people are gonna. If something happens to her, people are gonna think he's say he's evil. He's a thief. He's a you know he's used to being framed up. Yeah. And um, so he basically asks her to for her solidarity.
0: Amelda was, uh, well, 88 years old when uh, production started, Madeline, and Ali was working uh, full-time in the building industry in the western suburbs of Sydney, so uh, high risk.
1: High risk. We shot it in Adelaide. Um, we, had, we, we took a really long time to shoot it because we couldn't get our hands on Ali very easily and also we shooting at night... With Daylight Saving, we had to wait till it got dark and and then it was too late and Imelda would be tired. So it was a really, really difficult film to shoot. Now,
0: we've just seen another asylum seeker boat arrive on our shores with uh, people who claim that they've been tortured. How do you feel when watching the narrative about people smugglers and asylum seekers in the media again, Madeline?
1: Well, that political football, it's like uh, it's very disappointing because um, we've just demonised people who really need our support and and it, they keep getting referred to as being illegal. They're not illegal. There they are so have many... never been illegal. No, and there are so many lies around There's so much propaganda, but... Um, yeah, this, this is, it's very disappointing and you just know you're going to get all that political football all over again.
0: There are two great crimes in our history. One is our treatment of the First Nations people and the other is our, yeah, our treatment of refugees. You must feel very sad about these events.
2: Um, th- those people, they're looking for a better life, you know. It's everyone is looking for a better life, but. You can't choose. It, it's like you know you have a bunch of bananas. so you get good banana, you get bad bananas. so you can't get all good, you know some they come in here. it's like some they could use this opportunity just to come here. but some people they really need to be here.
0: I'm having a, a great conversation with uh, Madeline Blackwell, director of Damage plus Ali El Janabi. Uh, lead actor and Iraqi refugee. And the thing that horrifies me, Madeleine, at the moment, is that the UK is copying our policies, our horrendous cruelties in regard to refugees.
1: Well, there's a very simple scene in the film where Ali says to Esther, look... Um, you know, you you don't like it when we come to your country but then you came to our country, you created a war, you know, and he challenges her and our alliances with the United States in various wars around the place, we are, in fact, generating refugees and then we complain when they come here. So it really doesn't make sense There's a cause and effect here."
0: Ali, you must feel angered by the demonization of uh, people smugglers, given what a proud history it has. I'm thinking of Jewish refugees yeah. trying to escape Hitler. Yeah,
2: yeah. The, the Jewish history now, everyone, maybe this generation, they forget everything about the Jews, the Holocaust, what happened to them, how they tried to escape to Poland, to Yugoslavia, to everywhere, you know, how they going to escape, you know. And
0: turned back in the United States and the UK. And
2: they've been Pretty much everywhere. And they've been rejected by everyone in that time, you know.
0: Madeline, you say that the creation of the film reminds you of Orwell's uh, famous quote, who controls the past controls the future and who controls the present controls the past.
1: Mm, George Orwell. So it's very much about... um, In the defining reality, and um, the you know not looking at the facts of history, but just the propaganda that we face, especially around war, and um, again that comes back to you know how do we reveal the truth when that is also something that's violently punished,
0: Madeline? uh, We uh, mentioned how you you wove. Wove into uh, the narrative the WikiLeaks uh, collateral murder video at the start of the film, and you give a special thanks to Julian and the WikiLeaks team.
1: Yeah, because that footage is on the, in the public domain, and uh, I just wanted to honour the the um, the the WikiLeaks um, exposure of that because it really does tell a lot that footage when you study that footage in order to write this script I studied the reconstruction of Iraq and I was so horrified by the scams and the and the uh, corruption just I mean one thing is the war but the reconstruction of Iraq is a nightmare
0: I've just uh, tweeted something to the effect that uh, I'm offering Julian Assange and atheist prayers, and I think we all feel the same way. at this mm. is a dark moment in history.
1: Absolutely.
0: Ali, how do you feel about Assange and uh, WikiLeaks revealing that they what they did about the U.S. actions in Iraq?
2: This guy, he's just a journalist, you know. This is, gives signal and message to every journalist, so... Don't say anything, don't bring any truth. This is the end. Ali, you're
0: still on a bridging visa yeah. all these years later and uh, we don't want to, to jeopardise that. So perhaps tell me, have you found peace in Australia at last as well as, as well as marriage?
2: Yeah. I live a beautiful life and then peacefully life. But always, you know, at the end of the day, when you put your head in the pillow, you think about your children, your wife, what my future, what may happen to me. Sometimes it's sometime it, it worrying me, sometimes scares me, you know. It's not something, you know, I could shut it down, I don't think about it.
0: I'm talking to two winners of the uh, koala stamp with gum leaf cluster that's a special Additive, Madeline, I know Damages is uh, screening at the Riverside Theatre in Parramatta this weekend, which is what brings you here from Adelaide, but will there be other screenings elsewhere?
1: Yes, we're about to take it to Perth, Cairns, uh, northern New South Wales, Tasmania. There are various places and we have a a website, damagethemovie.net, and it's got where to watch. We've also we we started our national rollout last November, and we screened for three weeks in Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide. So I'm hoping to get it back into Sydney. Um, we're going to Castle Main to you know we're all over the place with the film, which is fantastic.
0: Madeline Blackwell is the director, writer, co-producer of Damage, and Ali Al Janabi is the co-star. He's also the subject of Robin DeCripney's compelling book, The People Smuggler, which we commend to you.
1: Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.